The first thing I did was to telegraph to my home saying I have received the baptism in the Holy Ghost and have spoken in tongues. On the train to my hometown, the devil began questioning, are you going to take this to Bradford? As regards my feelings at the moment, I had nothing to take but the just do not live by feelings but by faith. So I shouted out on the railroad coach to everybody's amazement, yes, I am taking it. A great joy filled me as I made this declaration, but somehow I knew that from that moment it would be a great fight all the time when I arrived home one of my sons said to me, Father, have you been speaking in tongues? I replied, Yes, George. Then let us hear you, he said. But I could say nothing, for, although I had received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, I had not received the distinct gift of tongues. That did not come until nine months later my son did not understand that the speaking with tongues which accompanies the receiving of the baptism in the spirit is not the gift of tongues spoken of in I Corinthians 12. The former is given as evidence that the spirit has come in Pentecostal fullness, but there may not be any further utterance in tongues unless there is a special anointing of the spirit. The gift of tongues, however, is such that the receiver may use it for prayer or praise at any time my wife said to me, so you've been speaking with tongues, have you? I replied, yes. Well, she said, it want you to understand that I am as much baptized as you are, and I don't speak in tongues. I saw that the contest was beginning right at home. I have been preaching for twenty years, she continued, and you have sat beside me on the platform, but on Sunday you will preach yourself, and I'll see what there is in it. She kept her word. On Sunday she took a seat at the back of the building. We had always sat together on the platform until that day. So the contest had begun tight in the church there were three steps up to the platform, and as I went up those three steps the Lord gave me the scripture in Isaiah 61, 1-3, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me, to preach good tidings unto the meek, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound. I was no preacher, but hearing the voice of my Lord speaking those words to me, I began. I cannot now remember what I said but my wife was terribly disturbed. The bench on which she sat would seat nine people, and she moved about on it until she had sat on every part of it. Then she said in a voice that all around her could hear, That s not my smith, Lord, that s not my smith. I was giving out the last hymn, when the secretary of the mission stood up and said, I want what our leader has received. The strange thing was that when he was about to sit down he missed his seat, and went right down on the floor. Then my eldest son arose and said he wanted what his father had, and he, too, took his seat right down on the floor. In a short while there were eleven people tied on the floor of that mission. The strangest thing was that they were all laughing in the spirit and laughing at one another. The Lord had really turned again the captivity of Zion, and the mouth of his children was being filled with laughter according to the word of the Lord in Psalm 126, I, two period that was the beginning of a great outpouring of the Spirit, where hundreds received the baptism in the Holy Ghost, and every one of them spoke in tongues, as the Spirit of God gave utterance God knew that I should have to go all over the world and proclaim this glorious truth that all could receive the baptism in the Holy Ghost in exactly the same way as they received on the day of Pentecost, with the speaking in other tongues, as the Spirit of God gives utterance the first call that I received after I had been baptized in the Holy Spirit was from a man who had a factory in Lancashire and who employed more than 1,000 people. He wrote to say that he had heard that I had received the Holy Spirit as at the beginning and he would like to meet a man who had had this experience. His letter said, if you will come, I'll close down the factory each afternoon and give you five meetings between 1 period 0 p.m. and 11 period 0 p.m. I wrote back, 
I am like a great big barrel that feels like bursting if it doesn't he have event, so I am coming to you for the meetings. Up to that time I had had no preaching abilities, but then I felt that I had the prophetic utterance which was flowing like a river by the power of the Holy Spirit. So I went to Lancashire, and that manufacturer closed down his factory, and from 1 period 0 p.m. to 11 period 0 p.m., with short intervals, I was preaching. Surely Christ fulfilled his promise, he that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. Quite a large number in that factory were gloriously saved soon, after this my dear wife received the baptism, in the spirit, and then we went forth together in response to the many calls that came from different parts of the country. Wherever we went the Lord baptized people with the Holy Spirit we went together to a small place in Shropshire, where we held a meeting in a primitive Methodist chapel. As my wife preached, the fire fell and people were baptized in the Holy Spirit all over that chapel. There was a good deal of opposition and plenty of persecution. It was a small country village, and everyone round about seemed to be greatly moved. They all knew about that revival in that church the next morning. After the fire had fallen, I went walking around the village and entered a grocery shop. A deep conviction fell on three people who were in that shop, and before I left that grocery store all three were saved. After I came out I went up the road a little and saw two women in a field who were carrying buckets. I shouted out to them, Are you saved? Here again a tremendous conviction seized them. They dropped their pails and began to pray, and right in that field the Lord saved those two women wherever I went conviction seemed to be upon people. I went into a stone quarry where a whole lot of men were employed, and I preached to them as they were dressing the big stones, and again conviction fell, and many were saved. As I was returning from this quarry, I passed a large hotel. Just as I was nearing it two men drove by in a two-wheel vehicle, and I never have seen men with such evil faces. They looked the very picture of the devil. I did not know who they were, but as they came near they cursed me, and tried to slash their whip at me it seemed like a whip from the pit. They shouted so loudly that the landlord and landlady, at the hotel, and five people came out of that hotel, and dashed at me like mad dogs, cursing, and swearing, though I had not spoken a word to them. But I did not fear their assault. I cried out instantly, in the name of Jesus, in the power of the blood of Jesus, I drive you back into your den. They rushed back into the hotel, and I went in, and preached Jesus, to them there were many people healed, and baptized at that time, and the glory of the Lord constantly fell. Twenty years later I visited that same village, and the people recounted the story of that wonderful visitation from God. Many people from different parts of the country would come to our mission, and on almost every occasion they would express the wish that I would visit their place, and do something for them I had many telegrams, to go to a place near Grantham, to a young man, who was very dangerously ill after I arrived at Grantham I had nine miles, to go by bicycle. When I came to that farmhouse that afternoon a woman at the door asked, Are you Wigglesworth? I replied, yes. She said, I am sorry to say, that you are too late. My son is beyond anything being done for him now. I answered, God has never sent me anywhere too late. If asked, if I could see the young man. He lay in his bed with his face toward the wall, and whispered that if he was turned over he would die, for his heart was so weak. Well, I said, I'll pray for the Lord to strengthen you. In most of my work in those early days I used to pray much, and fast. I knew that this case was beyond all human hopes, and so I lay awake most of the night praying. I got up very early the next morning, and went out to an adjoining field, to pray, for I was very much burdened about this case. There in that field God gave me a revelation, that this had to be something new in my life I went into the house, and asked them to put their son as clothes to air, because the Lord would raise him up. 
In that part of England the climate is very damp. So I knew it would be necessary for them to put his clothes before a fire before he could wear them. But they did not believe and so did not do anything about his clothes that was Sunday morning and I knew that there was a service at the Primitive Methodist Chapel. I went to the service and was invited to take charge. Through the word of the Lord, faith was planted in the hearts of all those people, and then something happened. They all knew that young man by name, and they all said, Matthew will be raised up. That led me to see that faith could be created in others just as it had been created in me, and if I went back to that house and said, have you put his clothes to air? I think they were a little ashamed that they had done nothing, so they got out his clothes and put them before the fire. Then I went into the room and told the young man the vision I had and said that something would happen different from anything that I had experienced before. I said, when I place my hands on you the glory of the Lord will fill the place till I shall not be able to stand. I shall be helpless on the floor. I went out and got his clothes and said to one of the household, all I want you to do is put his stockings on him. Why I had asked them to put his stockings on is a mystery. His legs were like those of a skeleton and I saw his helplessness and knew that a miracle would have to be performed. After this member of the household had put the stockings on the young man I said, now you can leave the room. They shut the door. I think it is a very important thing to have the door shut when you have a case like this to deal with, for then you know that you are just shut in with God. I prayed for the vision to be made good, and instantly, the moment I touched the young man, the power of God filled the room, and was so powerful that I fell to the floor. My nose and my mouth were touching the floor, and I lay there in the glory for a quarter of an hour. All that while Matthew in the bed was shouting, Lord, this is for thy glory. This is for thy glory. The bed simply shook, as did everything in the room, by the power of God. Matthew's strength, his life, and his heart, which was considered the weakest thing about him, were all renewed. I was still on the floor in the glory, when he arose from his bed, and began to dress, after he was dressed he began to walk up and down the room shouting, I am raised up for thy glory. I am raised up for thy glory. Opening the door he shouted, Dad, God has healed me I am healed. The same glory filled the kitchen, the father and mother fell down, and the daughter, who had been brought from the asylum, and whose mind was still affected was made perfectly whole that day that whole village was moved, and a revival began that day. I went into that village unnoticed and unknown, but when I left all the village turned out and shouted, please come back, please come back, and stop with us longer next time. I made the nine miles back to Grantham, and paid a visit to one of our converts who had moved to this city. The moment I got to the door she said, my brother is going to take you to a man who has cancer on the bladder. I went with her brother to the house of a sick man, and before I reached the house I could hear a voice crying out, oh dear, oh dear, oh dear. It was so loud I could hear it at least 50 yards before I got to the home. When I got into his room he was still shouting, Oh dear! Oh dear! Instantly God revealed to me that neither this man nor his wife were saved, so I said to the man, This great affliction is as much mental trouble as cancer. Are you saved? Oh, he cried, If I were saved I could die comfortably. If I were saved I would not mind this cancer or anything. I pointed out the way of salvation and God saved the man and his wife. That man had such a revelation of salvation that joy overflowed, and I could hear him shouting hallelujah for fifty yards after I left that home. The transformation was beyond all description. He had no more trouble with that cancer. I hurried to the station and just caught my train back to Bradford. I soon saw that my business would have to give place to the ministry that God was giving me. I had supported my family with my plumbing business, 
but I was called out of town so often, and people could not wait they had to seek help from other sources. Each time I returned to Bradford I had less business there came a period of very severe frost. I went around to my various customers and helped them to cover up their water pipes so they could get water during the frosty weather, but I knew that when the thaw came I should be wanted at many places to repair broken pipes I was invited to a convention at Preston in Lancashire. During those convention days the frost broke and telegrams began coming and asking me to return immediately to Bradford to do repair work. At that time the leader of the convention said to me, UVE helped us much and have been a very great blessing and we would very much like you to stop until the end of the convention, but if you feel you want to go home we will relieve you. I went home, but I found out that most of my customers who had had broken pipes had been compelled to seek other plumbers. There was only one woman, a widow, who had not been able to get a plumber. If I went to her house and found that it was flooded with water, and that one of the ceilings was down. I was so sorry for her that I repaired her pipes and her roof. She was grateful, for she had waited many days for help. When she said, tell me how much I owe you now, I answered, I want to receive any pay from you. I'll make this an offering to the Lord, as my last plumbing job. A friend once remarked, all the people who say they live by faith seem to have their heels worn out, and their clothes are old and green. I believed that God would abundantly provide if I served him faithfully. I promised him at that time that I would obey him implicitly, but I laid down the condition that my shoe heels must never be a disgrace and I must never have to wear trousers with the knees out. I said to the Lord, if either of these things take place, I'll go back to plumbing. He has never failed to supply all my needs. He increased my vision and faith and gave me calls all over England. I was a pioneer with a Pentecostal message to a great many assemblies throughout Great Britain. Soon calls began to pour in from other countries also I had a lot of money on my books that I was not able to collect without court action, but I preferred losing it to going to law. All the debts that I owed at that time were met by a young friend, whose heart the Lord opened to make me a gift of some fifty pounds my wife, and I continued our ministry at Boland Street, Bradford, even though I had to be frequently absent, because I was ministering elsewhere. I believed in house-to-house -house visitation, and prayed in every house I entered. Everywhere I went souls were saved and people were healed I was not ashamed of the gospel, so I purchased the largest flagpole that could be obtained, and placed it outside the mission. I had a flag waving on that pole three yards long, and one and one half yards wide. One side of the flag was red, and the other side was blue with white letters. On one side I had the scripture, I am the Lord that healeth thee. On the other side, Christ died for our sins. That flag had great effect on the people who saw it when passing by God moved me on to a place of increasing faith, causing me to see that the word of God was written to show us how to act on the PRI and disciples of faith. I saw that Christ had said, When thou makest a feast, call the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind, and thou shalt be blessed, for they cannot recompense thee, for thou shalt be recompensed at the resurrection of the just. So I engaged two people to go out and find all the needy, the sick and the afflicted and I gave them tickets inviting them to a banquet and entertainment at the Boland Street Mission after the two people had gone round the neighborhood that gathered together a great company of needy people. That sight was beyond all description. There were the blind and the halt and the withered. All around the mission there were wheelchairs and people on crutches, and the blind were being led. This was the best day in my life up to that point. I wept and wept and wept. One reason I wept was, because of the great need, I was weeping also for joy at the opportunity, and with expectation of seeing things, that I had never seen before. And so it was the first thing we did was to supply everybody with a first class meal, and there was plenty, to spare of the very best we could provide. 
after they were filled we gave them entertainment, not in the worldly sense, but the whole program was surely very entertaining. The first man on the program was one who had been wheeled up and down in a chair for a very long time, who told how he had been healed by the power of God. The next one on the program was a woman who had been healed of an issue of blood. She told how she was healed by prayer and by the anointing of oil the day before she was to go on the operating table. Then we had a man who had been going about trailing his foot and his arm because he had had a paralytic stroke. He told how he was healed after the doctors had given him up for an hour and a half. We kept those poor helpless people deeply moved and weeping by the stories they heard of how Jesus could heal the sick. I said to them, now we have been entertaining you today, but we are going to have another meeting next Saturday, and you people who are today bound and who have come in wheelchairs, and some of you folks who have come like the woman in the gospel, who had spent her all on doctors and was no better, are going to entertain us on Saturday night by the stories of the freedom that you have received today by the name of Jesus Christ. So we prayed for those people and God mightily met us. We surely had a great time the following Saturday night, as one after another told of how God had healed them of their different infirmities. I shall never forget that day. I cried out, who wants to be healed? Of course, everyone wanted to be. I remember one particular case. I had gone to fetch a woman in her wheelchair. The wheel was broken, but I managed to fix it up. I helped her from her home but that wheelchair gave way in the road. I said to her, well, you will never want it again anyhow. I fixed it again, and ultimately we arrived at the mission. God so marvelously healed her that she walked home, and I am a witness to the fact that she went up all the steps into her house and into her bedroom praising the Lord. As she went there was one young man, who had been having epileptic fits for 18 years, who was instantly healed. He had never gone out without having someone to accompany him. His mother brought him to that meeting, and God so wonderfully undertook for him that, within two weeks he was working in the factory, and bringing home wages another case was that of a young man, who was all doubled up, like the woman in the Bible. The Lord Jesus called it the spirit of infirmity, indicating that she was bound by an evil spirit. That day that young man was loosed, and set free just as the woman was loosed in the synagogue. Christ in his healing ministry said, he was working the works of God, and he said, that if we believe, we also could do the works of God. He had cast out the spirit of infirmity, so I cast out the spirit of infirmity, in the name of Jesus Christ, and immediately the young man was made straight, and everyone was blessing the Lord, for the miracle they saw another remarkable case was that of a boy, who, from his head to his feet, was encased in thin iron. The building was very crowded, but the father lifted up the boy in the iron case, and passed him over to the man who was sitting in the seat in front of him. He was then passed on to the next seat and others passed him on until ultimately he was placed before me on the platform. I anointed him with oil and laid hands on him in the name of the Lord Jesus, and immediately he cried out, Papa, Papa, Papa. It is going all over me. It is going all over me. It is going all over me. And he was loosened that day and made absolutely free. Can you wonder that faith was quickened in the hearts of many as they saw these miracles wrought? A week after, these people were going around as witnesses telling what Christ had done for them. Chapter 6 The ministry of healing have often heard Smith Wigglesworth say that it did not matter where he went in the scripture for a text. He nearly always ended up preaching that the Lord not only forgives all sin but heals every disease. His constant message was just Christ. He would say of him, there was never one who came into the world with such loving compassion and who entered into all the needs of the people as did the Lord Jesus and he declares to us, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works, and these shall he do, because I go unto my Father. 
God wants us all to have an audacity of faith that dares to believe for all that is set forth in the word. But we will let him continue his own story. One day I was in Sweden. While I was walking along I saw a man fall into a doorway. There was immediately a throng around him and they said he was dead. I immediately used the power and authority of the name of Jesus Christ and instantly that man was delivered. He had been troubled that way for many years. The Lord told me to make him a public example, so I invited him to come to the meeting, and he came, and told of his deliverance. He mentioned the most awful things, that the devil had been telling him, and then he told us that the devil had gone right out of him while I was in Salon I was sent to a certain place, to pray for a woman who was surely in a terrible condition with cancer, and nearly dead. The house was full of people, and I preached Christ to them. I said, I know this woman will be healed, but I want you to know the power of my Lord. I want you to know him who can save you from sin and can deliver you from all the power of the devil. I prayed for the woman, and her deliverance was so marvelous, and it had such an effect upon the people in that home, that they went to the newspapers, and had the story published. The woman herself came to the meeting, and told how the Lord had completely healed her. Christ told us, these signs shall follow them that believe. What is it to believe? It is to have such confidence in what the Lord said, that we take him at his word, simply because he said it. I remember one day, that I was asked to visit a woman, who was dying. When I got into the room where the woman was, I saw that there was no hope as far as human aid was concerned, she was suffering from a tumor, and it had sapped her life away. As I looked at her, I knew that there was no possibility of help except the Lord would work a miracle. Thank God I knew he was able. I said to the woman, I know you are very weak, but if you wish to be healed and cannot lift your arm or raise it at all, it might be possible that you could raise your finger. Her hand lay upon the bed, but she lifted her finger just a little. I said to my friend, we will pray with her and anoint her. After we had anointed her, her chin dropped. My friend said, she is dead. I looked into her face and said, in the name of Jesus I rebuke this death. From the crown of her head to the sole of her feet her whole body began to tremble. In the name of Jesus, I command you to walk, I said. I repeated, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, walk. And she walked my friend went out and told the people, that he had seen a woman raised from the dead. The woman as doctor heard of it and went to see her. He said, I have heard from Mr. Fisher, the elder, that you have been brought back to life and I want you to tell me if that is so. When she affirmed it he asked, dare you give your testimony at a certain hall, if I take you in my car. I will go anywhere to give it, was her willing reply. She came to the hall looking very white, but there was a lovely brightness on her face. She was dressed in white, and I thought how beautiful she looked. This is what she said, for many months I have been going down to death, but now I want to live for my children. I came to the place where it seemed there was no hope. I remember that a man came to pray with me and said, if you cannot speak, or cannot lift up your hands, if you want to live, move one of your fingers. I remember moving my finger, but from that moment I knew nothing else until I was in the glory. I feel I must try to tell you what the glory was like. I saw countless numbers of people, and oh, the joy, and the singing. It was lovely, but the face of Jesus lit up everything. Just when I was having a beautiful time the Lord suddenly pointed to me without speaking, and I knew I had to go. The next moment I heard a man say, walk, walk in the name of Jesus. If the doctor is here, I should like to hear what he has to say. The doctor arose, and tried to speak, but he could not at first. His lips quivered and his eyes looked like a fountain of water. At last he said, that for months he had been praying. He felt that there was no more hope, and he had told them at the house, that the woman would not live much longer. In fact, it was only a matter of days. 
he acknowledged that a miracle had been wrought through the name of Jesus. That doctor wrote to a friend of his and said, If you ever get a chance to hear Wigglesworth, you must certainly do so. Hundreds of people have been healed in this place. I received many telegrams and letters asking me to go to pray for a certain woman in London. They did not give me full details, I only knew that the woman was in great distress. When I arrived at the home the dear father and mother of the needy one took me, one by one hand, and the other by the other hand, and broke down and wept. Then they led me up into a balcony. They pointed to a door that was open little and they both left me I went into that door, and I have never seen such a sight as that in my life. I saw a beautiful young woman, but she had four big men holding her down to the floor, and her clothing was torn. As a result of the struggle when I entered the room, and looked into her eyes they rolled, but she could not speak. She was exactly like that man, who saw Jesus, and ran to him, when he came out of the tombs, and as soon, as he got to Jesus the demon powers spoke. The demon powers that were inhabiting this young girl spoke and said, I know you. You can't he cast us out, we are many. Yes, I said, I know, that you are many, but my Lord Jesus will cast you all out. It was a wonderful moment. It was a moment when he alone could cope with the situation. The power of Satan was so great upon this beautiful girl that in one moment she whirled and broke away from those four strong men. The Spirit of the Lord was wonderfully upon me, and I went right up to her and looked into her face. I saw the evil powers there, her very eyes flashed with demon power. Though you are many, I cried, I command you to leave at this moment, in the name of Jesus. She instantly began vomiting. During the next hour she vomited out thirty-seven evil spirits, and she named every one of them as they came out. That day she was made perfectly whole. The next morning at ten o'clock I sat at the table with her at a communion service star 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 during a visit to Los Angeles in 1948. I was told the following incident by the one who entertained our great heart at the time he was holding a tent meeting in that city. He had just begun to preach one night in the tent when there was great commotion in one of the front seats. A lady had fainted. A number gathered around her. Wigglesworth cried out, I rebuke you, you evil devil, for disturbing this meeting. Immediately, all over the tent, people were criticizing him for his harshness but the sequel to this incident justifies his action. A few days later the husband of the woman who had fainted came to the house to see Mr. Wigglesworth. My wife has been sick for years, he explained, and I have had to wait on her. Every morning I would have to carry her breakfast to her bedroom on a tray. But everything is different since the night you rebuked that evil power in her. The next morning she said to me, you want he have to bring my breakfast to me this morning. I am perfectly healed, and I am going to get up and prepare the breakfast myself. And she has done this every morning since. Doubtless she has been oppressed by a spirit of infirmity, but since you rebuked it the other night, when she fainted, the thing has gone, and now she is perfectly free. During the latter years of Smith Wigglesworth, he was accompanied by his son-in-law, James Salker, and by his daughter, Alice. The latter undertook most of his correspondence, and the former greatly helped to minister faith to the different audiences, as he told of the many remarkable miracles and signs that have followed the preaching of the word in the Belgian Congo in Africa. Mr. and Mrs. Salter tell of hundreds of miracles which they saw following the prayer of faith of our great heart like his master, he was a man of authority. He was called to pray in Kansas City for a demon-possessed woman. When he reached the home the demon power in the woman was most violent in its curses. He commanded the evil spirits in the name of Jesus to depart. He then prepared to leave the home. All the way that he walked to the door the woman followed him, and from her mouth there poured out a tremendous volume of curses. He did not say, I guess I did not pray the prayer of faith, I had better go back and pray again. To him such a course would have been failure. 
he turned, and spoke to the demon power in that woman with authority saying, I told you to leave. That was enough. The woman was completely delivered, and her pastor stated later that she had no recurrence of demon possession. All the following cases of healing recorded in this chapter have been told us by Mr. James Salker. Wigglesworth would often startle us in a meeting by saying, just to let you see that the Lord is in our midst and his power is present to heal and to bless, we are going to have an exhibition, a demonstration. In the Acts of the Apostles we read of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. His doing preceded his teaching. Every sermon that Christ preached was prefaced by a model miracle. We are going to follow his example. The first person in this large audience who stands up, whatever his or her sickness, I will pray for that one and God will deliver him or her. Mr. Salper says how often our hearts have quaked, as we have heard him make that bold announcement, for there would be cancers, consumptives, people in wheelchairs, others lying on folding beds, twisted, pitiful cases of all kinds of diseases. Secretly we have hoped that one of the simple cases would stand, and not one of the far-gone cancer cases, or deformed cripples on one occasion we shook in our seats, as in answer to his challenge, a poor, twisted, deformed man, having two sticks for support, struggled to his feet when Brother Wigglesworth saw him, he did not turn a hair. In his characteristic manner he asked, Now, you, what has up with you? After he had taken stock of the situation, he said, All right, we will pray for you. He had the whole assembly join with him in prayer, and then, addressing the man, he said, Now, put down your sticks, and walk to me. The man fumbled for a time, then he let his sticks fall to the ground, and began to shuffle along. Walk, walk. Brother Wigglesworth called, and the man stepped out. Now run, he commanded, and the man did so to the amazement, and great joy of all who were present, and to our unbounded relief in sweet and his preaching on divine healing and water baptism so stirred up the doctors, and some ministers of religion, that they combined in presenting a petition to their parliament. This resulted in Brother Wigglesworth being forbidden to touch the people, or lay hands on any of them in public for their healing. One day he was preaching in a park, when it was estimated that a crowd of at least 20,000 people had gathered to hear him. A number of government representatives were present to ensure that he carried out the law, and he was equal to the situation. He asked all who were sick to stand if they could, and failing that, to indicate in some way their need, and he would pray for them. He said, Now each one lay hands on himself, and I am going to pray, that the Lord will heal you. The sick people laid their hands on their own afflicted parts, and he prayed a simple prayer of faith. Hundreds were blessed and healed, as a result. In this way he kept within the law during his latter days he used this simple method on scores of occasions when he had a very large audience and he knew it would take hours to pray for everyone who needed help. Thus it was that in a park in Stockholm, Sweden, was born what he later referred to as his wholesale healing method. Actually this was forced upon him by the action of the Swedish government. It is quite safe to say that hundreds of people were healed by this method and that such healings were permanent. See Chapter 9 for Mr. Wigglesworth's own description of this first experience in wholesale healing, in one large city, where we had two meetings a day for a month. This method was used every day, because of the huge crowds, who saw his ministry. One man had sat in front of the platform in an endeavor to get some idea of what the preacher said. He had been deaf for forty years. During one of these wholesale healing demonstrations he suddenly began to swing his head about in a fantastic way, and then ran out of the tabernacle. He returned to the evening service to testify. He said that he had been stone deaf for forty years, but that during the morning meeting, while the preacher prayed, something seemed to snap in his head, and a noise like the firing of a big gun filled his ears. That was why he ran out of the building, up to the top of the road, and from there he could hear the preacher's voice quite plainly. 
During the rest of the services, he was so pleased that he could hear that he sat on the back seat, and in the farthest corner from the speaker so that all would know that he now could hear quite well in the same meeting was a war veteran whose spine had been damaged by a bullet wound. During a wholesale demonstration he too was perfectly healed. Two or three people were healed of cancers at the same time. A little boy was lifted up on a table. One of his legs had been two inches shorter than the other. His father raised him to tell the audience what had taken place. The boy testified, when the preacher told the folks to move their arms or legs or whatever was diseased, I pushed out my short leg and it became just as long as the other one. The result of this miracle was seen by about 1,500 people during the same campaign. One woman stood up and said, I am a great sufferer. I have been in the hands of the doctors for a long time and at present I have a floating kidney, gallstones and chronic appendicitis. Along with many others she arose at the time of the wholesale healing demonstration, and when prayer was made she was perfectly healed. There were hundreds of people blessed, healed and delivered in those meetings by that method, and, although those meetings were 20 years ago the results are permanent. Only today, November 19, 1947, here in Los Angeles, California, a lady stood up and testified that she was healed in those services in a large city in Arizona, a center to which thousands of tubercular people came to live in the desert surroundings to take the cure. We had a series of meetings. The news spread very rapidly among those folks, and some traveled considerable distances to be present in the services. There were rich and poor all classes, and in all stages of lung trouble, here also he used his wholesale healing method among the people. One lovely young lady, far advanced with the disease, rose as he made his challenge. Stand out in the aisle, he called to her, and she did so, her bosom heaving with excitement and her cheeks flushing. Through the great effort she was gasping for breath. Now, he said, I am going to pray for you, and then you will run around this building. He prayed, and then he shouted, Run, woman, run. She said, but I cannot run, I can scarcely stand. Dante talk back to me, he called, do, as I have said. She was reluctant to move, and so he jumped down from the platform and urged her to run. He helped her a little, and she clung to him until she gathered speed. Finally she galloped around that big auditorium, without any effort. When seen some considerable time later, she was quite well. There was another woman, in the same meeting, that he told to run. When she showed her reluctance and would not start, he pushed her. She clung to him, and together they ran around the building a few times. Her legs had been locked by sciatica, and her feet were so crippled that she could scarcely walk. God completely delivered her, and every day, after that she walked to the meetings instead of using the streetcar, because she was delighted to have the full use of her limbs again he called his dealing with individuals retail healing. A lady stood in line one day in Leeds, England, waiting for a bus. An nurse in uniform was next to her, and they engaged in conversation. They discovered that they were both Christians, and then the talk turned to the subject of sickness. The woman told the nurse that she had a son with a diseased thumb, and she contemplated taking him to the hospital. Dante do that, said the nurse, they may take it off. I'll give you the address of someone who will pray for him, and the Lord will heal his thumb. By this time the bus had arrived, and, although it was not going in the way the nurse wished to travel, she parted it with the lady so that they might continue the conversation. On the bus the woman said to her, I, too, am sick. I have a cancer on the breast. Taking a small book from her bag, the nurse wrote on it the name and address of Smith Wigglesworth. Write to him, and you will get a reply. Having finished her work for God, the nurse alighted at a convenient stop. The sick woman wrote to Brother Wigglesworth, so we went to visit her, and found the cancer in an advanced stage. Prayer was made for her, and then we left to make the 25-mile journey home.
God completely delivered the woman, making her well and strong in her body. Feeling extremely well, she undertook to decorate her house. While emptying a cupboard she found an old Bible, and on opening it her eyes fell on a passage she had underlined with red ink. It read, Ein health shall spring forth speedily. She had marked that passage twelve years previously, then had forgotten it, and had not claimed the promise of God's word. Her faith was strengthened by her experience, and by the word that had been fulfilled so literally to her. Some years have elapsed since this incident, but she has had no further trouble with the cancer in Acts 19, 11, 12 wearied, and God wrought special miracles by the hands of Paul, so that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs, or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. Special miracles in hundreds of cases were wrought through handkerchiefs that Brother Wigglesworth sent to sick people, and hundreds of letters were received telling of the miracles that were wrought. Volumes could be written containing nothing but answers to such cases. Every kind of sickness and disease has been healed by this method. The handkerchiefs have been placed in pillowcases, in sleeping suits, etc., and drunkards have lost appetites for strong drink, smokers have left off tobacco. Wayward sons and daughters have been brought back to Christ. Separated couples have been reunited. They have been used for every conceivable kind of need, trouble, and sickness. There is one especially interesting case of a lady who sent for and received a handkerchief. She said she was in a dying condition with cancer. When the handkerchief arrived she placed it on her pillow, intending to apply it in the presence of her husband and family. While lying there she began to feel the presence of God from the nearby cloth until a healing in her body took place. Today there is no sign of cancer. Smith Wigglesworth always made it clear that behind all the methods or means used was Jehovah the Healer, and that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, and today, and forever he was always unpredictable. He sometimes did things that were extraordinary, but later on we found that he had really been led by the Holy Spirit. On one occasion as he was ministering before a very large audience, he seemed needlessly severe in his dealing with a lady, and she fell to the floor. Lift her up, he said, and again she fell. This time some of the people nearby remonstrated with him, but he answered that he knew his business, that he was dealing with a devil and not with a woman. Again she was lifted to her feet, and as she stood a huge cancer fell from her to the floor. That was the answer frequently as methods were misunderstood and his motives were misinterpreted. Yet he persevered lovingly with a single light toward God and a holy sincerity toward the people. He was not moved by criticism. He would say, I am not moved by what I see or hear. I am moved by what I believe. He was moved with compassion, was Smith Wigglesworth's daily experience. Tears would run copiously down his cheeks as he ministered to the afflicted. How tender he could be in dealing with children and aged folks. How he would valiantly storm heaven with his praying for the pain-racked and suffering one's race distinction was a thing unknown to him. Black, red, yellow, all sought his ministry and all were blessed by his prayers and his gifts. He ignored social distinctions in his ministry, and he could be very severe on anyone who saw private claims on his attention on such grounds in one city he was working hard for a month with three meetings each day. God was at work among the people. Cancers were cured, legs strengthened, the deaf were being healed, all manner of healings were being wrought, and best of all souls were being saved. One day the chief pastor, who had built and paid for the hall where the meetings were being held, and who also had two assistant pastors, said, There is a lady in this city, who is very ill. I feel that if she would be healed the effect on the people would be very great. Would you visit her, Brother Wigglesworth? He replied that he was very busy with three meetings each day, with praying for the sick and assisting those who were seeking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, and that this did not leave him very much free time. 
However, the pastor persisted, and pressed the matter from day to day, emphasizing the social standing of the lady, and her husband, in the city, and also the effects, that such a healing was bound to have on all who knew them. Well, said Brother Wigglesworth, how can we fit in such a visit? It was finally decided, that the call should be made on our way to the evening meeting. Because of the status of the lady, and her family all three pastors accompanied Smith Wigglesworth, my wife, and me to the house, which was located in the best part of the city we drew up at the door, rang the bell, and were ushered into a palatial room. From there we moved into a very large bedroom. There like an eastern monarch on a throne sat the gorgeously robed lady, in a rainbow-colored pile of lovely embroidered cushions Smith Wigglesworth stood, and stared at such a sight. Then he said, well, you certainly look comfortable. I beg your pardon, she snapped. I said, you look very comfortable. She let loose in a storm of abuse which left her exhausted. Oh, he said, I can see that you are not ready for me yet. Good evening. And so saying he walked out of the house and entered the waiting automobile my wife and I followed him out and ventured to suggest that he had been a bit harsh with the lady. I know my business, he said. The pastors remained in the bedroom for some while in an endeavor to placate the lady. When they came out they pleaded with him to go back and pray with her, but he was adamant, saying, No, she is not ready for me, let us go to the meeting. We were all much disturbed in our spirits over the affair, but if he felt anything he certainly did not show it for he went through the service with the mighty unction of God, upon his preaching, and upon his praying, for the sick the next morning we had the service at the usual time. The Spirit of the Lord was graciously with us and at the close of the address an invitation was given to all who wished to come nearer to God. He said, if you move forward only a foot, you will be blessed, if you move forward a yard, you will get more. If you come up to the platform we will pray for you, and God will meet your needs with his supply. All the audience moved, but a stately lady led them. In her desire to be first to get to the front, she fell prostrate. It was the lady whom we had left in the bed the previous evening. After we had left her she had deeply repented. God had healed her, and now at the morning service she publicly consecrated her life to God. She was a broken woman, profuse in her apologies. Again we had been wrong in our judgments and God had vindicated Smith Wigglesworth's action on November 28, 1947. I was in Bethel Temple, Los Angeles, and was told the following three incidents. A man stated, I was born in Norway, and heard Brother Wigglesworth there about 22 years ago. I was dying with tuberculosis. One lung had already collapsed, but after he prayed for me, God healed me, and I put on 26 pounds in weight in a very short time. Then we moved to America, and lived in Chicago. My wife was very ill with lung trouble and spit blood continually for three years. I took her to one of Brother Wigglesworth's meetings in Chicago. She was prayed for and delivered from her sickness. We had had no children up to this time, but after my wife's healing the doctor found that she was pregnant. He remarked, it is a great tragedy. It certainly will mean the death of mother or child. Both survived the ordeal. Two more children also were born, and the children and the mother are well and strong. Another family husband, wife, two grown-up daughters, and a son presented themselves to us at the close of the service. They had traveled more than 120 miles to be present at the meeting. They had written to Brother Wigglesworth for a prayed-over handkerchief. The father was suffering from acute appendicitis, and the son had a large growth on his neck. When they applied the cloth, the father's pains all ceased, and he was healed of the appendicitis. The lump on the boy's neck burst, the swelling disappeared, and he has had no further trouble with that over a period of years. The man said, we were not able to let your father-in-law know about this, but we have traveled all this distance to tell you. We thank God for his ministry.
Another person came to us in the same meeting, and said, I was with Brother Wigglesworth in England, for a whole day, and we had meals together in his home in Bradford. In the afternoon he took us to a nearby park, where we sat and talked for a while. During that short period he led two men to the Lord, and he prayed for two others for the healing of their bodies. He seemed to be so busy that my friend and I decided to take a short walk. When we returned we found him kneeling by the side of another man pointing him to the Lord Jesus. He prayed and preached all the time we were with him and appeared to live for God for the help of other people. Smith Wigglesworth would give no place to the devil and to outsiders at times he seemed to be extremely rough and uncouth. The following incident sets forth his attitude toward the devil. One day when he was waiting for a bus, a little dog attached itself to a lady standing near him. Evidently she had hurried out of the house thinking she had left the dog behind her. Somehow it had gotten out and followed her, to her annoyance. She bent down and patted it on the head, and said, Now, you must run home, dear, I cannot take you with me. The dog's response was to wag his tail until all his body shook, but he made no move towards home. You really must go home now, my little pet, she said sweetly. By that time the bus was in sight, and she was desperate. Stamping her foot she said severely, Go home, at once. The little dog was scared by such an attitude, he put his tail between his legs and scampered off as fast as his legs could take him, that's how you have to treat the devil. Wigglesworth said, loudly enough for all who were waiting for the bus to hear James H. Taylor of West Roxbury, Mass., wrote of a meeting of Wigglesworth's in Washington, D.C., I think it will help our testimony to state that we have seats in the second row, front, from the healing corner, so that what happened during the healing hour was almost within hand reach. Just before the meeting began, we had noticed that a young girl with crutches was coming and she was assisted by a man and woman. Her legs absolutely dangled, with the feet hanging vertically from them. From her waist she seemed to be limp and powerless. Room was made for her in the front row. When the invitation to be saved was given, she attempted to go forward aided by her assistants. Brother Wigglesworth, on seeing her start, said, You stay right where you are. You are going to be a different girl when you leave this place. When the rest had been dealt with Brother Wigglesworth turned to the girl and, having been told her trouble, said to the people, This girl has no muscles in her legs, she has never walked before. He laid his hands on her head and prayed and cried, In the name of Jesus Christ, walk. Looking at her, he said, You are afraid, aren't you? Yes, she replied. There is no need to be. You are healed. He shouted. Walk. Walk. And praise God she did like a baby just learning. Twice she walked, in that characteristic way, the length of the platform. Glory to God. When we left the room, her crutches were lying on the seat, and on reaching the sidewalk we saw her standing, as others do, talking with two girlfriends. Glory to God in the highest and on earth healing to those who believe. Amen. The woman who assisted her forward was her mother, and the man was her uncle, who wept like a child during her healing. He testified in the evening meeting that she walked up the stairs at her home without assistance, repeated the fact that she had never before walked, and stated that her mother, who went forward for healing for a swelling on her breast, when asked about it said, It asked one. Wonderful things happened at the evening meeting also. One brother testified to the healing of a cancer of two years standing. A poor sick man whom the doctors had given up, whose legs were useless, except for slow motion, was healed, and ran twice around the hall. When asked Bo many had been healed during the week's services, at least 200 rows. Well, what shall I say, but praise God. Chapter 7 In labors more abundantly labored more abundantly than they all, Paul declared.
but he was quick to add, yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me our great heart as life, like the Apostle S, was in labors more abundant, but he was quick to acknowledge that it was all of grace, and by faith, that his labors were accomplished. To him the attitude of faith was not one of strain, of effort, nor of crying and moaning night and day, but just one of laying hold of God as gracious provision, and trusting, and resting. He knew God could not fail in his promises. He believed the record, that God hath given unto us all things, that pertain unto life and godliness, and so he laid hold in living faith of the exceeding great and precious promises, and his expectation of an exhibition of God as power was constantly fulfilled once more we will let out great heart resume his own story, God has blessed me in so many ways. I have seen sight restored to persons born blind. I have seen three persons come to life after being dead. All these things that I have passed through only make me to know, that Christ's promises concerning the greater works are true, and we must give him all the glory for them. It was my privilege to labor in India, and in Ceylon, and to see God mightily moving there. Probably the high point of the revival was at Colombo. How God blessed! I was preaching under the anointing of the Spirit, and the crowd gathered. They packed the place to suffocation. But the power of God was wonderful. After preaching, and that through an interpreter in a temperature of about 120 degrees, we prayed for about 500 sick people each night. In that great heat, women would bring their babies. We would sometimes have 50, or more in the meeting, and, because the atmosphere was so oppressive they would be crying. I used to say, before I preach I will minister to the babies. It was very wonderful, as soon as hands were laid on these babies, to notice the silence, the quietness, the peace, and the order of those meetings. The power of God was there. One man in the midst of this great crowd, who had been blind for a long time, was healed. His eyes were opened instantly. We saw many similar miracles take place. I cannot understand how God can give to any of his children glory and virtue, but it nevertheless is true that he does. There were thousands of people that could not get into the meeting, but, as I passed out through the great crowd of people, that could not get inside reached out and touched me, and they were healed. I marvel at the grace of God, that it could take place. There is something about believing in God, that makes God willing to pass over a million people just to anoint you. I believe God will always turn out to meet you on a special line, if you dare to believe him. I was in one place for only four days, and they were disappointed, that I could not stay longer. I said to them, can you have a meeting early in the morning, at eight o'clock? They said they would. I said, tell all the mothers who want their babies to be healed, to come, and all the people over seventy. It would have done you good to see 400 mothers coming in at 8 o'clock with their babies, and then to see about 150 old people with their white hair coming to be healed. Well, in those days there were thousands out to hear the word of God. It believed there were about 3,000 persons crying for mercy at once. It was a great sight. I arrived one day in Norway at about 9 a.m. and said to my friend, who was interpreting for me, nobody knows that I am here, so please take me down to the fjords. I would like to relax, because I am so tired. We had a few hours, in the sunshine, and rested, and then came back. When I returned I found that the street all around the building, where I was to speak was filled with every kind of vehicle with wheels on, and these were filled with needy sick. The brother who was to interpret for me ran to the top of the step of the building, and said, What shall we do? The house is full of people. I took off my coat, got into every wheeled vehicle there, and prayed for the people. There was great shouting in the street as God healed them, and then I went into the house and God healed them there also. But that was not all. We sat down to eat, and while we were eating the telephone rang, and the message came, What shall we do? The town hall is full, and there are thousands outside.
The police cannot do anything with the crowd. I said, we will come down as soon as possible. Two policemen got hold of me and pushed me through the crowd. When I got inside that down hall, I never saw anything so packed. I have seen sardines packed yet these people couldn't he have fallen down if they had wanted to. The Spirit of the Lord was upon me I began to preach. I have forgotten my subject but I knew I was eaten up with the zeal of the Lord. I cried to God for a message that would be different, that something might happen in that meeting different from anything else. As I was preaching, I heard the voice of God speaking, and saying, If you will ask me, I will give you every soul. I went on preaching and God repeated, If you will ask me, I will give you every soul. I knew it was the voice of God, yet I was slow to accept. Then the voice of the Lord came again, If you will believe, and ask me, I will give you every soul. I looked up to him and said, All right, Lord, please do it. I ask you, please give me every soul. The breath of the Holy Spirit swept over the whole place, and I have never seen anything like it. All over, Christ for mercy. I believe that God gave me every soul. That is my conception of Pentecost. Pentecost is believing that after the Holy Ghost comes upon you, you have the power. Do not be afraid to believe. Believe that God makes you a partaker of the divine nature through His great and precious promises. His own eternal power working in you will bring forth a divine order that can never be surpassed by anything in the world. Smith Wigglesworth preferred throughout his whole life to be unattached to any religious body. His heart of love went out for all the saints. We have been with him in different towns where he would search out the Salvation Army to be with them at their prayer meeting at 7 a.m. and then he would frequently go to the Episcopal Church to their Holy Communion service at 8 a.m. on three different occasions he held meetings for Episcopal ministers. If they wanted it, he would put on a surplus and cassock which they considered necessity for ministry. One Episcopal minister arranged a tent meeting for him in London such an innovation was frowned upon by his bishop, but this minister's son had been healed through Mr. Wigglesworth's ministry, and he wanted others to be benefited by the same. Incidentally, one time when King George D. was sick, this Episcopal minister's wife sent a handkerchief to him that our great heart had prayed over, and received a letter of thanks for sending the same the Assemblies of God in Great Britain would usually invite him to their annual conference. They wanted all their young men to receive the benefit of his inspirational ministry. He, however, would not attend any of the business sessions, saying, You carry on, and I will pray for you. And so he would turn aside and give himself to prayer having no denominational affiliation. He had no human backing in his travels and so he frequently arrived in places with no other recommendation or support than the reputation he had achieved through his ministry. This was especially so in many countries in Europe which he visited after the First World War. He arrived in Switzerland a complete stranger, but God was with him in mighty power. Towns were moved for God and he was constantly invited to return to that land. He had many blessed meetings there when he arrived in New Zealand he had just one man to meet him, but thousands were one for God there, being saved, healed, and filled with the Spirit through his few months of ministry. It was stated that it was the greatest spiritual visitation on the North Island, known for more than a century. As a result of his ministry, some 2,000 sat down to break bread. In one of his Sunday morning meetings in Wellington there was no body of people to meet him when he stepped from his ship in Colombo, Ceylon. His arrival was almost unnoticed, but he had not been there many days before the whole district was throbbing with the power of God. Crowds thronged to touch him, and scores who stood in his shadow were healed and blessed somehow. His fame usually spread ahead of him, and on one occasion, when his ship put in at one of the Pacific Islands, he was kept busy preaching and praying for the sick until the boat departed. 
He was tireless in his zeal to help the needy when he arrived in Palestine the first time. He was a complete stranger, but it was not long before he was preaching the gospel and praying for the sick. On the Mount of Olives he had some blessed services, and quite a number were filled with the Holy Spirit, as on the day of Pentecost. He aroused the district so tremendously that the departure of the Jerusalem Haifa train was delayed so that he could finish his sermon to the people who had gathered to hear him. On the way to Egypt he sat in earnest discussion with influential non-Christian men, who on arrival at Alexandria took him with them to lunch so that they could continue the conversation about the things of God. About this visit to the Holy Land, he laughingly remarked that he thought he was the first Gentile preacher who ever received an offering from the Jews there. God often used him in his journeys on trains and on steamers. He told us, I remember, once I was traveling to Cardiff in South Wales. I had been much in prayer on the journey. The carriage was full of people whom I knew to be unsaved, but as there was so much talking and joking I could not get in the word for my master. As the train was nearing the station, I thought I would wash my hands, so I should be ready to go straight to the meeting. I went along the corridor, and, as I returned to the carriage, a man jumped up and said, Sir, you convince me of sin, and fell on his knees there, and then. Soon the whole carriage of people were crying out the same way. They said, Who are you? What are you? You convince us all of sin. It was a great opportunity that God had given me, and you may be sure that I made the best of it. Many souls were born into the kingdom of God in that railway carriage. On his way to Australia he wrote, I began quietly to work among the passengers and testify to the power of God, and I found this was very convincing. One was telling another about me, so I got quite an open door. A gentleman and a lady who were very rich occupied a first-class cabin, and their valet and his wife were traveling second class. We had morning and evening services conducted by the Bishop of Bombay, and they were very good. After a morning service the bishop and I had a long talk together, and he was very interested in my work. After the evening service the valet and his wife were seeking me as the lady was very sick. They had called the doctor who had pronounced her very ill. The valet had told the lady about me and she desired an interview. She was really very sick and also filled with the principles of Christian science, and finding these had failed her, she was in great fear. So I told her about the only principle I knew, and that principle was Jesus, but she knew nothing about him. I prayed with her, laid hands on her, rebuked the demon in the name of Jesus, and the fever left her at once. This morning she is seeking salvation through the word of God. She is now on deck, full of life, and I had the pleasure of dealing with the valet and his wife about their salvation also. His son-in-law, James Salker, writes of him, what a lonely figure he seemed to be on the deck of the giant liner with its thousand passengers, when he was leaving for Australia the first time. As the ship left the dock, he lifted his voice repeatedly in a series of hallelujahs, with a clarity and volume I have never heard equaled. He startled his fellow passengers, and caused the captain on his bridge to remark, that man has lungs of steel. It was on this ship that he was asked to take part in a concert. He asked to be the last item on the program. The pianist said she could not accompany him when he gave her a hymn book, but that did not matter. He sang his solo, a hymn exalt in Christ. That concert turned into a soul-saving prayer meeting, and the dance scheduled to follow the concert was abandoned. On one occasion he made a promise to help a young man who was starting a work for God in a new and very difficult district. He was ministering on the Pacific Coast and MR and MRS. 